Hey, what's going on, everybody? Bobby Watts here. Thank you for tuning in to the High Voltage Podcast. Uh, It's been far too long since I released one of these, but I've got a really good one for you guys today. Uh, If you're a part of unmanned aviation in any way, whether it be hobby, uh, business, um, I mean, whatever it might be, whether whether you fly radio-controlled helicopters just as a simple hobby, or you work for Amazon and you're part of their drone program, or you're kind of an up-and-coming manufacturer such as myself to where we make the actual drones. Um, this one revolves around all of us, all of us in unmanned aviation. So in the end of 2019, the FAA released a 300-plus page document that proposed what they call remote ID which basically is just a set of rules that would allow them to monitor the national airspace here in the U.S. for all remotely controlled aircraft. So if, any, if it doesn't have a pilot, this is pertaining to you. To be honest, I sat down and read it myself, but let's just face it, most of it just went over my head. I mean, at the end of the day, I build and fly drones. I'm no lawyer. But I figured it'd be best to chat with someone who's an expert on the subject. So in a recent interview I did, I sat down with my good friend Kenji Sugahara, who's the perfect person to chat with to discuss this matter. So Kenji's technically a lawyer who passed the bar exam, but because his passion for flying and operating drones outweighs his passion for practicing law, he now works full-time in his business ACAM Aerials, located in Oregon. So instead of sitting in a courtroom or office all day, he and his team spend their days out in the Pacific Northwest shooting movies, TV shows, commercials, all that with drones. As a member of the FAA rulemaking committee, he was involved with providing the FAA some insight to some possible rules and regulations that would allow drones and unmanned aircraft to operate in national airspace both safely and effectively. So after all that, did the FAA take into account the advice that he and the others provided for this rulemaking? No. No, they did not. So in this interview, we discuss how the FAA's proposed remote ID system would affect everybody. Hobbyists, UAV operators like Kenji, small aircraft manufacturers like myself. Just how bad will it be? Well, with these proposed rules, to put it simply in Kenji's words, hobbyists got screwed. Listen in and get a sense for how these new proposed rules would affect you, however you are involved with unmanned aviation. So let's get right into it. Here's my interview with Kenji Sogahara talking about FAA Remote ID. This is High Voltage with Bobby Watts. Okay. All right. And it's rolling. So we are live here uh, with my good friend, Kenji Sugahara. Is that right? Ke- Sugahara? Sugahara. Sugahara. Awesome. Yeah. Kenji, how you doing, man? Doing all right. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Nice to, uh, I think we've chatted like with FaceTime once or twice, but we really haven't had a chance to talk that much. Yeah. Face to face. Never met you in person, but yet you are my uh, number one customer, literally. Yeah, well, actually, the, the second MFD ever built. This is true. This is true. So when I built the uh, MFD 5000 heavy lift drone, I built uh, the first one for my good friend, Jordy Klein, as like a test. And then you guys are crazy enough to want one without really seeing it in person. I'm like, man, these guys are awesome. And uh, <laughs> and now we have it. You guys are, are the first paying customer. So thank you guys again. Really couldn't have done it without you guys. Yeah. And you, you knew Mike too. So we trusted you right off the bat. This is true. Mutual, mutual friends here. So, um, so Kenji, thanks for, um, taking this opportunity to speak with me. I think today, 
I, I really wanted to get in touch with you because I've been, I've been asked all the time about this remote ID. And I feel like you are the perfect person to talk to uh, in a few different ways. So perhaps can you maybe tell me a little bit about like your background and then where you're at now and why you're such a good person to talk about this remote ID with? Like, why are you the optimal person to tell us really what's going on with FAA remote ID? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, uh, I went to law school. I been trained as a lawyer. I actually have a, a, a bar license, so I can still practice law if I want to. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, if you want to. How many people have a, have a license if, and, operate, and, and, and only like work if they want to? That's awesome. I don't know. I, I'm just one of those crazy guy, guys who just loves to do fun things. Okay. So it, it was really interesting because before I got into the drone sphere, I ran the Oregon Bicycle Racing Association for around 11 years. Wow. So in, in, that, in that sense, what I did was I started using drones to say, hey, this is a cool way to cover bike races. Mm -hmm. And then I started getting better and better and better and better and better and better until I sort of burnt out dealing with 5,000 type A personalities and said, <laughs> forget it. I'm, go I'm going full-time drones. Um, so subsequently went to that. And the interesting thing piece, too, is because of my legal background, uh, I start decided it would be good to get into sort of the regulatory aspects. So I started talking to the Oregon legislature about some of the drone regulations and stuff, and they pulled me in and started asking me for advice. State Parks is doing that right now. Um, and then I started getting involved on the federal level um, wow. and was invited to the Aviation Rulemaking Committee, uh, which was sort of the genesis or the start of a lot of this remote ID. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, after that, uh, I got involved working on the ASTM standards, which is a standards body, uh, which created standards for remote ID. So, wow. um, so you've been in it. You've been in it since, yeah. since the beginning, really. Yeah, I, I've been in it since, since the beginning. And you hear guys like Brendan Shulman and all these, all these folks and, I, I've worked with them for, for, for such a long time. It's they're 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 absolutely wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people working wow. on. That's awesome. So, when did you get involved with um, flying drones or UAVs? What like what year did you come into this? I've been flying for around eight years now. Eight so years. Not, okay. Nothing compared to what you do because you were like the god of helicopters. <laughs> and, no, <laughs> no, maybe at one time for a brief like one minute, but then no, 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 no. But um, no, that, that's interesting. And, and I think the most interesting part is that I feel like maybe someone with your background, it seems to me like just by you speaking and tell me about your background, I feel like your type of um, background and, and, and use case would lead to more like industrial sort of uses, maybe like a LIDAR scanning or something like that. But you actually work main time in the cinema market, right? Doing like commercials, yeah. TV commercials, feature films, and you're, you're out of uh, Washington State, right? No, Oregon. Oregon, Oregon. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, we've totally gotten into it. We filmed like The Waterman earlier this year, which is an Oprah Winfrey movie. Uh, we were out in Pittsburgh for a Netflix uh, shoot. Uh, if, you the, if you see the Chevy Truck Month commercials, we did those. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, so we've, we've, we've rapidly progressed uh, in terms of what we do. Uh, and it's, it, it's been a hoot. I mean, it, it's been an adventure so far. And oh, that's so cool. It's going to be great too. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, perfect. Okay. So I, I love the fact that you have the ability to practice law, but love. So is it basically you're just love for flying drone, you know, for, for operating drones and everything that comes with it? Does that just outweigh your passion for law? So is that why you do drones full time rather than practice as a, as a lawyer? Yeah, it's much more fun. 
I mean, there, there, there's nothing like uh, getting a shot where you're coming down a hillside and then you drop in between trees and then fly through a bridge. Good for you, man. That is so cool. That is awesome. So for all of you out there in law school, just take a look at my friend Kenji here. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. yeah. Oh, and if anybody's considering law school, I'll, I'll take Ixnay. Go, 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 go. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right. Well, so let's get to remote ID. And so I, I guess as a quick background, so I guess uh, FAA put in this uh, remote ID um, proposal, I guess we could call it. Um, the day after Christmas, if I believe, yeah. and it, it was a 300 and something page document that got released with a lot, met with a lot of backlash from everyone that I know, not one single person that I know likes it. So yeah, I read it. I read it the entire thing. <sighs> okay. So what I'd love to do is talk to you. I, I feel like I hear remote ID talked about only from one side. So what I'd love to do is talk to you about how it maybe affects three different segments. So first of all, how does it affect like you and your business? So how does it affect you as a professional cinematographer going out flying drones as a service provider? And then maybe number two, how does it affect the RC hobby? So people flying model airplanes, model helicopters, things like that. And then number three, how does it maybe affect a small manufacturer like myself? Um, and then where can we go from there? So I guess, so first of all, what's your general impression of it and how do you see FAA's uh, remote ID proposal. How do you see that affecting you personally? Uh, so personally, well, just to give you a little background, we knew this was coming because Congress passed a, a, a law a while back saying, hey, you know, remote ID is super important. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why sort of that aviation rulemaking committee came together uh, because the, the, the like Homeland Security or your, your, gut, your person on the street or the police officer, they do have a legitimate concern about what's flying above them. Sure. You know, it, it, if somebody's like flying t t 10 feet off my, off the, off my lawn, mm -hmm. I, I, I'd be a little bit concerned too. Sure. I have kids. You know, you, you know, you want something buzzing around, just checking stuff out. Sure. Yeah. So it's completely legitimate. There's a security concern, but there's, there's ways to address it that don't go overboard, mm -hmm. which I think uh, sort of what came out of the, uh, the NPRM, okay. what it does. And, and it, just to be upfront, um, there, there's, there were some significant issues that I spotted because they didn't follow some of our recommendations from the Aviation Rulemaking Committee mm -hmm. because what we did in that committee was sort of come up with some proposals which was sort of a balance between law enforcement needs versus our privacy and the needs of the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and the NPRM really didn't reflect that, which is truly unfortunate. Uh, and I think what, that what what happened was DHS came in as the 800-pound gorilla and said, F.A., you're going to do this. We want persistent, pervasive uh, sort of surveillance of all the UAS activity in the United States. Right. Which I just way too much. So you were part um, of – I guess to, break it, to bring it back. So you were part of a committee that helped – create these rules, the set of rules? Recommendations that, that the FAA took into consideration when they were drafting the rules. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, so if, if you actually look at the document, they, they reference uh, the aviation rulemaking committee that was, that I was on. And then they address point by point um, some of the recommendations that they did, but some of the rationale that they gave, I don't think was really that great. Sure. Or they, they, 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that makes that makes sense. So I, I guess the biggest thing that they're striving for right now is like, as as you mentioned, like blanket surveillance, where they can know at all times where are where is every single drone flying, and yeah. And was that ever a part of your discussions or your committee's discussions? No, 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 not even close. The the framework that we had was really coming up with what was context appropriate. Like, for example, like normal 107 ops, you just broadcast and that's good enough. Or you connect to a network. Mm -hmm. So it was was, or if you're in like controlled airspace, then maybe, yeah, connect to a network because that's where airspace is going to be more congested. Exactly. And that makes sense. And like toys, who gives a? Uh, okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, so yeah. so I, I guess getting getting back to it. So with with it written as it is. So I, I guess at the moment. So right now it's January of 2020. So at the moment there is a comment period, correct? Yeah. Where we can make comments for the next month, I believe. Um, yeah. And then at that point they will go back into their secret offices and discuss more rules. So yeah. as it's yeah. written right now. How would that affect your operations? Let's say if you were to go do a shoot this week with your Inspire 2 or your bigger your MFD flying a, 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 a big movie camera like a Red or an Aerie, how would the rules as they're written now, how would that affect your shoot? So in terms of the shoot, the Inspire 2 is easy. Okay. Those, those are easily upgradable to remote ID, being remote ID compliant. And which would be, what would that, in, what would that entail? So what, what that would entail is connecting to the network uh, through our through our cell phone app. Okay. Um, and broadcasting. And that's is, all you would have to do. Now, yeah. And was it there? Inspire to do that. Okay, but weren't there a lot of other provisions written to where you could only fly? Was it four hundred feet away from yourself in a bubble? That's four hundred feet. No, 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 no. There's there's some misconceptions. There. Okay. That's what's called a, a limited. Uh, UAS, a limited remote ID. Okay. And those are ones that can't fly beyond 400 feet by design. Okay. So, so what is that? For those, so for, for that one, what you need to do is what's likely going to happen is you just put in your, your cell phone and then have it connect to, uh, to the network uh, remote ID service supplier and then just keep that connection live while you're flying. And if you can't connect, you can't fly. But what kind, of, one what of, kind of an aircraft would that be? That's the limited... Uh, like the Amazon cheapies. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's only four. Okay. So that 400 foot bubble, that 400 foot radius bubble. So 400 feet high and then 400 right. feet away from you. So that's only yeah. for kind of like the cheaper toys and such. That are designed. Well, like, uh, for example, either they have geofencing built in right. and you can get around it. Right. Or because the the controller tech, it can't go beyond that. Okay, okay, so that clears it up because I did see that as a big misconception to where people were thinking yeah. that they would be locked into four hundred feet. Yeah, flying. Okay, okay, so that that helps me out. That's good. Yeah, so, but the, 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 there there's something interesting here. Um, so that means for most of the hobbyists in 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 your heli guys. They're going to fall, fall into two camps. Mm-hmm. One camp is they have to do standard remote ID, mm-hmm. which means they have to get it if they don't have uh, capability to connect to the network, get a little dongle or, or whatever and shove it on, or they have to fly at a at, at a uh, sort of a, a FA recognized area. Okay, 
Uh, so those are really only your two options. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll get to those in just a sec. Cause let me, cause I'm going to, I want to beat you. I want to beat you hard on, on, on how this changes the flight ops for, for the commercial guys still. Like I, I still want to try to stay on this cause the hobby, the hobby industry guys, man, those guys are so scared. I want to give them their, their proper, uh, <laughs> their proper time. So, so you mean to tell me that if you were to fly, so with remote ID and all the noise that I'm hearing, um, the only difference would be that you would have to connect to a network for f- doing a commercial or LIDAR scanning or, um, you know, normal like flight ops right now. That's the only difference. You would have to connect to the network and that's the on- the aircraft would have to be able to broadcast its own wireless signal as well, correct? Yeah. To the network. No, so there, there, there's, there's two ways to do broadcast. So broadcast is just sending out a signal to anywhere uh, doesn't need to connect to the network. Okay, um, it's like a it's like a Bluetooth beacon saying I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Here's some data from me. Right. Networking where you actually have to handshake with the network, like LTE, and uh, connect to a service provider. So, so those 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 are actually the two different types of uh, sort of uh, remote remote ID um, that that uh, sort of originates from the bird or your ground station. And so, would both of those be acceptable? Because it seems like the first one seems like ADSB. That's what like an ADSB kind of sounds like to me, like where, where it's just like a beacon of some sort. But the second one that you proposed would have to have internet connection. So I guess I'm feeling, I guess I'm feeling to understand, could you use one or two or would you have to use one or the other or, or do you have the option or how is that, how's that written? Cause I'm getting, I'm hearing a lot of complaints of people concerned about the hardware. They're saying our drone can't afford another 150 grand uh, uh, electronic device or something. It's like, how would that break yeah. down? Yeah. So it's uh, standard is you have to do both. You have to do both. The, okay. Yeah. The, the, the fortunate thing about uh, the standard remote ID is the ID, idea that if you don't have to land, if your network connectivity goes out, all you need to do is continue broadcasting. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So now what happens if I have a shoot where there's no so, no cell service, no phone service, nothing at all? You just have to broadcast under standard. So you just broadcast. And what type of, what kind of a widget am I talking about to broadcast? Like what would need to be on my aircraft to, to broadcast? Uh, DJI equipment, most of it can be firmware upgraded. Okay. So it'll it's through an SDR, uh, software defined radio. And it'll just send that out. Okay. Um, and a lot of ground stations already have cell phones. Um, people use sort of the cell phone or, or cellularly connected uh, tablet mm-hmm. as their uh, ground station monitor. Yep. Uh, so that, that, that'll be fairly easy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, for the only ones that I, I could foresee happening are like uh, the MFD, mm-hmm. which don't have that broadcast capability. The A3 controller doesn't have that built in. Correct. So that, that, that's an issue. So, yeah. So I, I guess in the, if that's the case or like in cinema, the free fly, aircraft are extremely popular as well so like what would happen with yeah. those because they're not connected to the internet they they need a retrofit module mm. either either uh well definitely a module on the on the bird yep um and then potentially trying to figure out how to connect to the net uh, network using the ground control station okay which is I think, very difficult just the way that the the alta sort of built correct because ground control it's like a tfg yeah you uh, can just yeah like a regular regular rc radio or something yeah yeah it becomes it becomes a little tricky but it seems to me like with the dji equipment 
it's basically not even an issue. It just, it's just yeah. going to happen almost without you even realizing it. Yeah. Hmm. That's really interesting. Do you, that's the, the, really the, interesting. For, for me, the, uh, uh, the way they approached it was, uh, we said you don't, we recommended to the ARC that connection to the network should only be involved when there's uh, stuff going on. For example, you're, you're flying in controlled airspace or you're you're doing beyond visual line of sight or more advanced operations right where, exactly you know you need a little bit more awareness mm -hmm. so that's what we recommended but they're saying where, wherever cell cell uh signal is available you have to connect to the internet okay got it so if you are oh, I'm, I'm trying to gather my thoughts here because it's not initially it's not as bad as i was hearing um, or as, as I was reading, but it's really hard because it's a, it's a 300 some page document and I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I don't have possess the same skills and education that you do with regards to that. So do you feel like it was almost not unfair, but do you feel like that it was just so much that it's so hard for people to digest? That and any regulatory action is going to have like a lot of blowback. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do think they were a little bit heavy handed in it. Okay. We knew remote ID was going to come, but the, the basic idea is good and it's sound. Right. You'll always have those people who say, I don't want to be tracked anywhere, which is which is a perfectly legitimate sort of point of view. Mm -hmm. But is it realistic? No. Remote ID is going to happen. Just the way that they wrote it is problematic. Okay. Um, Got it. For, for, for like the standard, for the commercial ops, it's not too bad. There are some improvements that can be made. For example, um, I think what it should be is network network connectivity is only for controlled airspace, like ADSB. You think about it. Yeah. Uh, it's only within the mode C VIP. Mm -hmm. It's like there th there is some good comparisons. You don't need to know what's going on in class G airspace. Um, you should only be required to broadcast out there. It's like no, who I, cares? I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I agree. And okay, so with remote ID, do you feel like the constant surveillance is necessary, or did they take it a step too far? And I mean, it's like Big Brother, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's totally like Big Brother. You think about it. Um, who's going to be able to take that action and spot that drone and and, and take care of it? Right. Because if if you think if you think about it, it's not going to be that desk jockey or that AI in Washington D.C. or somewhere somewhere sitting like not away from the actual location that's going to be able to take care of a drone operator or a, a, a drone, right? Sure. Yeah, and so the the only reason for it would be big big data analysis, but it's been shown like. Uh, uh, the NSA and DHS can't process that much data. It's no, it's, it's way too, it's way too much. But then, yeah. would would everybody's information be available to the public? So if I'm if you're there flying your big cinema rig, and let's say you're filming a movie in, in a sketchy part of town or something, you know, because they just want to get the shot there, and can anyone log on and see exactly that you're flying there and where you're flying, and can they see that? Like the yeah. public, the public yeah. can, as it's written, well, the public can. Well, here, here's 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 the idea. Um, when you're broadcasting, yeah, people will be able to see. Uh, it, it'll send that signal out, and if you're in range of that signal, it'll be, they'll be able to see where you are. But if you think about it, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi don't have a huge range, right? So, especially as you get lower in altitude. Mm -hmm. So that's going to have less of a footprint, and it's less likely that that sketchy person's going to be able to figure out where you are. 
But they'll still Whereas, be able to see the fact that you're flying a drone. Like they'll still see your 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 yeah, transmitter. Know, see where it goes. So it's like no, this is true. But they could still see the fact that like oh, a drone operator's just right down. Or, or I'm not even saying a sketchy neighbor, just people who are nosy. You know, yeah. you could be f- filming somewhere and people who are nosy could see on a map that, oh, there's a drone operator a mile away. Let me go see him. Yeah. Uh, and that, that can happen on sort of uh, the network side, too. OK. So the, the, the way that the, the rule works, that data is supposed to be made available public, but no uh, like personally identifiable information will be available. And that's that's true on the broadcast side too. Okay. Because one of the most important things we emphasize during the aviation rulemaking committee is nobody should have access to our personal identifiable information, which yes. is like name, date of birth, address, all that stuff. So it's sure. going to be a license plate, a digital okay. license. So as it's written, is that we would still be protected in that way? So as it's yeah. written, people would not be able to see it's you, Kenji, or me, Bobby, flying. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because it, the data is not included in what's sent down. Okay. So, so far, it seems to me that if I'm a commercial UAV operator, I'm not so scared of remote ID. It's a little inconvenient, but it's not that bad. Yeah. Okay. All right. So fair enough. It's like geofencing with DJI. It's a pain in the rear, but guess what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We ought to unlock it. Exactly. Okay. That's fair. Okay. So next, moving on to my, my people, my people. So I work with a lot of commercial UAV operators like with Watts Innovations, but now I come from the hobby industry. So as it's written, what will uh, remote ID, FA remote ID do to the hobby industry? Um, It won't be good for it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It won't be good for it. Okay. To to, to say the least. (laughs) Um, if, if you, if you look at the rules themselves, you're either going to have to have a limited, uh, mm-hmm. which is sort of that, uh, can't 400 feet, 400 feet, which okay. I'll know is for, especially more advanced users, hobbyists, that's, that doesn't, can't do anything with that. That doesn't cut it. Uh, okay. or the standard, which means you have to have, you'll, you'll have to have a module that plugs into your, to, to your, uh, UAS or your drone. Okay. Or, 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 or even your, your airplane or your heli. And we right. know how, how like balance is so important and performance is so important. Exactly. So that, that puts a crimp on, the, that, on that. Or you have to fly at a designated area. So like an AMA sanctioned field or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel well, like the AMA guys, I feel like people who only fly at an AMA site, it they probably won't notice anything different, right? Because they're already kind of grandfathered. It, the AMA has already done their best to, you know, work with uh, 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 the FAA in this. So perhaps would the AMA fields be okay? Like, would they be get a get a pass? Well, here, here's the thing. I, mean, I just want to make sure that I get the actual language. Uh, Scanning language. through the 300 page document. No, 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 no. So the 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 MPRM as written says that. Uh, at the at the end of the twelve month period following the effective date of the rule, there won't be any more new FAA recognized identification areas. So it's a fixed number. Oh. Um, and as of right now, uh, the AMA has around two thousand six hundred thirty nine clubs slash flying sites, and that doesn't include independent flying sites. Right. Um, and the FAA has has written that they have to review. Each FA recognized uh, identification area and approve it. So oh my God! Think about that. Remember oh. how long three 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 exemptions took? Oh, uh, like a year each, two years. Yeah, it took now forever. Imagine two thousand six hundred thirty nine 
2,639, where they have to do a, a sort of a security analysis and they have to analyze sort of the potential uses. So if, if somebody objects that they're building a, a, a apartment complex next door, they can object and say, no, no, you can't have that. Even if it's existing, that can throw a wrench into the approval oh, process. And oh of course, that just takes time. Then I've also been looking at, uh, I, I've gotten into a discussion to figure out whether this is sort of, there has to be public hearings on this. I'm not positive whether it does, but if it does, can you imagine how much longer that will take? Oh, it's going to be insane. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it's ridiculous. So, okay. So just to recap. So if I'm a hobbyist, there would be three ways which under remote ID I could fly. Number one, if my aircraft has the ability to broadcast its location by internet, and then my transmitter would have to broadcast my location as well. Correct? Yeah. So yeah, that, that's standard. Yeah, standard. That's standard. That's standard. Okay. So that seems technologically doable, but difficult. Like yeah. it's not impossible, but it's difficult. Well, the, the, the thing is you'll probably have to get a dongle that uh, is either very sophisticated in yep. terms of has a GPS built in yep. uh, and can broadcast, or you have to have something that plugs into your flight controller if you have GPS on your bird. Exactly. But Which it would is, still, but I, I guess I'm still, okay, let me go over the, the three and then I can get back to it. So yeah, the first yeah. would be standard, but yep. so the drone and the transmitter broadcast its location. The second would be limited, meaning I can just fly old school RC with 72 megahertz and RC plane, but I'm limited to a 400 foot bubble. Yeah. From no, it, it sort of has to be designed so it can't fly beyond. Oh, okay. So like a, what happened? So an old school trainer airplane, like a nitro engine, yeah. not even, not even legal, not even legal. And well, unless, unless three, unless you're at an AMA sanctioned site, once it gets, oh, sorry, not AMA, FAA approved site. Yes. Once they approve these sites. Yeah. Holy shit. That's really bad. So. Oh. Yeah. The, the hobbyist got screwed. Yeah. So, but even, even like FPV, oh, it's, it's horrible. But like, even, even guys doing like FPV racing, that's, you're done. FP doing freestyle FPV, you're done. Yeah. I mean, I can understand the bigger stuff. So when we have a, when we have a 12 pound RC helicopter that produces like 10 to 12 horsepower, I mean, we can afford the, a little dongle or something that needs to yeah. have that yeah. or a big yeah. multi-rotor. Like we can, we can work through that. But yeah. in terms of like a small FPV racer or, or something like that, or, or even, a, um, you know, like a free sky Tyrannus radio, like how's that going to connect to the Internet? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it could. But it's still it, we're, we're just going down a path of technical, just very difficult technical challenges like ahead of us. Yeah. Uh, so what do you propose? What do you propose? The hobbyist, this is really bad. Like this could very much kill the hobby. Like what it's going to do is put, put the hobby to where it's so hard to do the hobby legally that people are just going to lose interest. They're just going to go play uh, video games or something. It's just so hard. Yeah. So what, what, I, what I'm going to be suggesting in my comments is just go back to what we sort of originally said. Yep. And if you're that concerned about like the FPV racers and stuff, just allow them to go online, just draw a circle where where they're going to be and say, hey, you know, this is where I'm going to be at this time or whatever for how long. Yep. And who cares? People are going to be know that you're going to be there. Uh, law enforcement will. Or allow your cell phone to sort of broadcast. Right. Or allow your cell phone to connect to the network. Either of those three. I mean, if you 
my biggest concern, especially for the hobbyists, are the ones who live out in the rural locations where cell phone signal isn't the best. And if you think about it, it's, right. there's probably not a field nearby. So you got these farmer kids who are like, oh, yeah, I want to get into aviation. Right. And what? They don't have network where they're going to fly. They're outside of like dial-up range of Wi-Fi of their house. What's going to oh. happen to those poor kids? Um, so for, This is for so me, bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so bad. I, I'm even thinking of a lot of the AMA sanctioned fields to where like they're nice fields with a paved runway and a clubhouse yeah. with – electricity and they don't even have service there and it's yeah, like so as long as it's a it's, it's an approved site you won't need cell signal or, or whatever but mm. um, it's just that process to get those sites approved that's going to just take a long time oh. and it's a central issue man i feel so okay so i guess at the but, end we'll, we'll go over comments of what what people should comment i i, I guess yeah. um Okay, so any, any for I guess before we wrap up on the hobbyists, any any anything else to add for hobbyists of how this would affect a hobbyist? It's just going to make it much more difficult. Okay. Okay. And for the hobbyists that like to build their UAS mm-hmm. or build their drone or yep. build their plane, it gets even worse. The, the, these folks. Unless they didn't allow provision to say, hey, you know, it's like a dongle will fulfill the, the, the requirements of, of, of remote ID. Right. And it can be separate. And it's not like they don't have to be certified as a manufacturer or anything like that. Yep. Um, that, that. It could work. It could work. But the way it's written, you're pretty much exclusively limited to flying an AMA field. So if, if yeah. you have your own property yeah yeah still can't yeah you can't legally oh that's so ridiculous that's so crazy so okay For example, you buy your own property yeah yeah you can't fly there oh my god i i'm, I'm almost speechless because i i can't believe that when i read through the documentation it's so dense that i just couldn't couldn't wrap my head around it but i feel like so so far after speaking with you commercial operators i'm okay like i'm not too scared hobbyist i just don't even want to buy another like i don't even want to play anymore i want to take my ball and go home and do something else mm-hmm. the 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 other thing too is the requirement for like an ansi serial number so okay. like a lot of home builds won't be able to okay so yeah so that you just transitioned us so you just segued into number three so number three i feel like we could throw into like how how this affect like myself like i manufacture drones that you you guys have one and you go yeah. fly it on movie shoots, but I'm also no different than someone, as you mentioned, building their own FPV machine um, or somebody uh, building their own kit aircraft or something like that. And then flying in a non AMA sanctioned field. So with regards to like the manufacturing and the, the, the building your own stuff, what would be required? So how would that change me? How would remote ID affect me on a manufacturer side or someone else building their own like home built, FPV machine or something like that. So to, to, to comply with the remote ID, you'd have to have an ANSI compliant serial number. Okay. So that in itself is very problematic because it has to be the aircraft itself has to have an ANSI compliant uh, serial number. Okay. It's kind of weird. Um, what they really need to do is allow sort of the components like uh, everybody has a flight controller, right? Yep. 
if the flight controller have an, has an ANSI compliant uh, serial number, that should be okay. It doesn't have to be the aircraft itself, which would simplify things much, much. Kind of like more. a like a FCC certification almost, to where if if my receiver is FCC certified and yeah, I install that specific serial number that's compliant, then that should fulfill the requirements of having that specific type of serial number. Okay, that makes sense. So how would one? How would we get that? How would one get a uh, ANSI serial number? Oh, you have to pay money. How much? And I'm, I'm unsure at this point. I don't think they've even de- determined what it is yet. Okay. Yeah. So we have to get a serial number. So that's the first thing. Okay. And then the second thing is obviously our aircraft have to have all these capabilities to broadcast where it is and then where the transmitter is as well. Yeah. So the, the, the other thing that you need to do Yep. is uh, file a dec- declaration of compliance okay. uh, certifying that your uh, your your unmanned aircraft is uh, compliant with standard remote ID or limited remote ID okay uh, and that can get pretty spendy uh, the FA went through an economic uh, economic analysis yep but I think they dropped the ball on it in terms of the actual the actual cost to small manufacturers okay so um, I, I went through some figures mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I figured out that it cost probably close to around $18,000 for uh, a lawyer to actually file that compliance documentation for you to draft, help you draft, draft that. Yep. And then you, ha- you have to have 18,000. I'm sorry. 18, one, eight, 18,000, 18,000, 18. Okay. Plus you have to have periodic audits. So every year or every couple of years, Sure. That's going to probably, uh, cost you between four to seven grand. Okay. And before, before you go even further, so basically what you're telling me is that if you're anyone else, if you're a drone manufacturer of any type here in, in the U S or even a foreign one, want to sell your aircraft in the USA, then you would have to go through all of these steps in order to comply with their latest remote ID. Correct. Yeah. For, okay. for yeah. Got it. And for that declaration of compliance, which is required, Okay. And for big manufacturers, that's probably nothing. Right. It's but, just a drop of roll. It's like a roll of tape. The, the, the guys in their, in their garages, Yep. Uh, which where a lot of the innovation happens. And, and yep. you think about it with all these concerns about spying and all that stuff, yep. we're supposed to be encouraging domestic production. Correct. And this flies in the face of that by saying, oh, yeah, we're going to create some hurdles. So you can't play in the field and innovate. So it'd be 18000 18, an additional four. Yep. So, okay. And plus, remember, you got you got to test it too. Yes. Correct. Which is probably costing around the actual cost um, using the FAA figures is probably going to run you around uh, sixteen to $17,000 too. And who am I testing this with or for? Is it like an agency, like a testing agency or something? No, just to show that you can, you could, yeah, sort of you're in compliance with the standard. Okay. So like, uh, for example, one standard is, um, well, the ASTM, which hasn't been formally adopted yet, but it, it's, a, it's sort of the basis of some, some of the technical requirements is um, section 6.21 requires a minimum EIRP around all 360 degrees of the far field in the horizontal plane of the transmission path. So oh my God. Say that and test for it, that you have to go through some, through some testing. So, and, uh, okay, okay. Sorry to interrupt, but I, so I guess what you're telling me is that they're constantly trying to push American made aircraft and say that 
you know, we're, we're sick and tired on oh, my LinkedIn feed all day long. All I see is basically we want other options to us to, to imported um, aircraft. We want more domestic production, but yet they're making the rules. Harder. I mean, t- 10 times. I, and I'm all down for regulation. I can't, I can't believe, like, I literally can't believe that even like two years ago when I first sold you like our aircraft, I can't believe that I, as just a builder in my house, was able to put together an aircraft and sell it. And there's zero regulation, zero, nothing. Like, I'm not saying that it should be the Wild West, but it seems like what they're proposing is uh, the Wild. I mean, I mean, it's like what's the Wild West, but it seems like what they're proposing is just so incredibly difficult to like how you're not going to, as you said, you're not going to get those tinkerers in their basement or their garage. I mean, that's like, you're going to be like 50 K to just, just to not get sued or just to not do it illegally. Yeah. And and if you also think about this is a a new thing for the FAA in terms of the way they're regulating, you can't sell it, which is quite different from what the uh, regulatory structure is for pretty much all other aircraft. It's you can't fly it. Right. Okay. Wait, so you can't sell what? Your, uh, your, your drone. Okay. Unless, unless you have this. Unless you have it. Okay. Where all other regulatory sort of uh, structures that the FAA has is you can't fly it. Oh. So they're saying that without this compliance, you can't even sell the aircraft. Yeah. Mm. So then it's almost more like a firearm at that point. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just trying to think of what other categories of manufacturing this would kind of bring me into. So I almost. It, 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 Toys would be another example. You can't if it, unless it make uh, meet some certain safety, sure. safety things. Sure. I mean, I, yeah. I actually had a conversation today with a gentleman who does um, kind of safety testing and such, and they were saying, you know, like if if I was a toy manufacturer, I wanted to get in Walmart or Target or something, mm-hmm. I would have to get this drone tested to a certain safety criteria, um, or or this toy or whatever else it might be. So we might be in that same position. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's interesting. So anything else I would have to do me or anyone else looking to build their own aircraft would have to do. Yeah. So one of the interesting things is say the, the way it's written right now, you have to sort of uh, re- retain records for around 24 months after the cessation of production. Okay. Um, but that really takes, that's problematic okay. because uh, there's some harsh realities. Most small businesses fail. Yeah. So if 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 a small business goes belly up or whatever, you won't be able to comply with it. Oh, so they're saying it's another pain in the rear. It's another hurdle. Do you want right. to have to? Yeah. So walk. So walk me through this. So let's say let's. So would that affect more the customer or the manufacturer? So if the manufacturer goes out of business oh, in two years, it's it, it's both. Because if, uh, for, for example, it still imposes that requirement after you've gone on a business, that's the last thing on your mind yep. that you need to, to, to file, keep these records, right? Wow. Um, and then also, for example, if you go out of business, you also can't have those periodic audits, right? Correct. If your de- uh, declaration of compliance is, goes out of date, and guess what? Your former customers are screwed. Oh, so okay. So if you're flying, if you're if you're flying an aircraft, and yeah. then your that aircraft becomes almost discontinued, or if the or if the manufacturer goes out of business, yeah. Um, so okay. So basically, if I decided tomorrow that I don't want to play drones anymore, 
and yeah. I and I stop making drones, then you can't fly the aircraft that I sold you anymore. Uh, yeah, if if you you don't retain records, you're uh, you don't have your periodic audits. Wow. Um, DOC. So who's good, who wants to take a chance on a small business when they know if they go out of business, the, the potential is there. You can't fly what you have. Oh, that's really bad. But what, this is so unnecessary. This is so ridiculous. Why? If anyone from the FAA could please contact Kenji or myself, this is ridiculous. I mean, that's silly. It's silly. Like, of course, if you're going to buy a DJI machine, like you're not worried about them going out of business. But if you're going to take a chance on someone like myself with only a few, you know, a handful of people building these things in in my crew, like that's a chance that you take with a small manufacturer. But how else can a small manufacturer become a large one without big money coming in? And and, and especially when some of the the custom builds that we're we're buying these days are are pretty expensive. And it's like, it's a significant investment. Oh man, that's really bad. That's probably the worst thing I've heard this during this whole time, but I guess it would be the same as, uh, I guess it would be the same as if I'm building my own, if I, if I'm building my own heavy lift drone or, or if I'm building my own FPV cinema setup or whatever that, you know, I would still have to go through all this hassle and retain all these records like, uh, man. It's to, to me, it's not encouraging business. It's discouraging business. I think so. If I would know this, if this happened today and I had to redo this, I would not choose to make aircraft. Like Which I would sucks. make a fantastic aircraft. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. But, <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like because I got in right at the last moment possible, like I, I got enough leverage and enough, um, enough steam going to where sure whatever they ask of us sure we're gonna do it like it's fine but i will say that based on what you told me i would not i would absolutely not start my business again if these rules were in in place yeah and what what (sighs) what they could do is they they could make adjustments to the rule to to say you know uh if a business does go out of does fold or whatever that the declaration of compliance remains effective without periodic audits, unless there's a fundamental flaw found sure. in sort of the, 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 the unit. So I think that's fair. I think that's fair. All right. Well, you've pretty much, you started me off. We started off not so bad, but now I'm like, oh, this is crazy. So, okay. So now it's time for the comment period. So users from today, I think it was the end of February, right? Till the yeah. end of comment period. March, so, early. or early March. Okay. So if I am involved in unmanned vehicles, so whether it's hobby or commercial UAVs or building um, UAVs myself, what would you recommend uh, that people do in terms of comments and what kind of message do you personally want to convey? And what do you, what do you feel like people should comment? So the, the most important thing that you can do is not cut and paste. So don't take whatever people, others, uh, other people say and just cut and paste it. Okay. Um, good to know. Really good to know. Yeah. I see that everywhere. Yeah, you see that everywhere. The AMA sent out, sent out a thing. Yeah. People are cutting paste it and dropping it into sort of the, the regulation stock of as common. Yeah. Don't do that. Okay. Um, don't be a jackass. I mean, <laughs> there's people who are saying, yeah, FAA sucks and all that, all that stuff. Don't do that. Right. Those comments don't count. The AMA cut and paste, they'll just count as one comment. That's it. So 
what, 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 what's important, maybe like the AMA, there's the issues that pop out. You say, okay, here's that issue. Here's this issue. The, here's the, here's problem, problem, problem. Mm-hmm. How does it affect me? Yep. Tell, tell your story. That's Correct. what just say, Hey, I got kids and this can cause problems for them because for example, if my kids out there and the things broadcasting, somebody could say, Oh, there's a drone around and go find my kid. Right. I don't want that to happen. Exactly. Or as you mentioned, I fly in my backyard in rural, I don't know, in, in rural yeah. Oregon and, yeah. uh, I don't have, we don't have cell service there. So that, that's another one. So I think you've brought up some really good comments and some good points so that for whoever's listening to this, I feel like could fall into one of those three categories. Yeah. And it, it's that personal appeal that's going to make a difference. That's interesting. It's, it's, it's because otherwise uh, it's just going to be lost in the shuffle. It's, it's a bunch of legalese or, you know, cut and paste and nobody wants to read that. And there's contractors on the other side that are, that, that are sort of reading these mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're dropping them into buckets. So okay. that's why it's, if it's just a cut and paste, you're just going to count it as one comment. But if, if you tell that story, it's going to be, it's going to be treated differently. And if you can make a compelling argument, it's even better. Okay. No, that, that's, man, this is some really great advice. I, I'm so glad we did this. So if, if I submit my comment by the beginning of March, what are the next steps that are going to happen? Cause I mean, they're, they're, I believe this is proposed to go into effect in like two or three years, right? I mean, we still have time. It's, this isn't happening tomorrow. I guess I should have stated that in the beginning. This isn't happening tomorrow, but what is the proposed timeline? Uh, well, it's, you never know with the FAA and rulemaking, it takes a long time because they have to go through all the comments. Mm-hmm. They have to dispose of the comments. Um, but there, there, there is a time period after sort of uh, rule implementation till, um, it has to be like fully implemented. So we, we do have some time, but at the same time, it, it creates that structure, um, of, of remote ID and I, I, I I think it's it's problematic the way it's written. So don't just also one of the things in commenting, don't just focus on the bad. Okay. Just say, okay, here's what's wrong. Here's how we can fix it. Here's mm-hmm. some ideas. Because that's that's so important to say and just don't bash the FAA all the time. Just say <laughs> they're overworked, there's not a lot of staff, they got pressures from DHS. We know that. Right. Um but if you offer concrete examples of how to be helpful, it's much better for all of us because, you know, there's a lot of people commenting and there's a lot of smart people who are commenting and it, they probably have some great ideas. Make sure that those ideas come out because the people in the ARC and the FA don't know everything. Okay. We're, they're not omniscient. Sure. So come up with good ideas, come up with solutions and put them on paper. Man, that's awesome. I feel like... That was it right there. That was it. Um, Kenji, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for taking time out of your day. I'm glad we could record this and put it out on podcast and video for everybody um, because I had questions about me personally and all my buddies in the hobby industry are asking me and UAV operators. So I feel like you you asked, you answered all of them. Um, anything else you'd like to leave us with or your general thoughts on this? I, I, I guess just any, anything else you'd like to add? No, just that remote ID is coming. We just we just need to get our input in there and okay. make ourselves heard. Uh, this is one of those watershed moments in the sort of unmanned aircraft uh, sort of field. Yep. So make sure we do something 
because otherwise we're up the creek without a paddle. And this remote ID is not going to give you a competitive advantage. There's, I've heard people have said, oh, yeah, it's good as is because it'll weed out people. No, that's not the way we want to operate. Yeah, this is we true. Want, we want fundamentally fair remote ID that protects everybody, including us. I think that and, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Yeah. And, and, and you know, one thing I didn't even think of, I remember when I first read it the whole time, all I could think of was package deliveries is now going to be like, this sounds like the rules specifically made for the Amazons and the UPSs and FedExes of the world to come in and do drone deliveries. Did you get that sense? I, I, yeah, I forgot the message. That's part of it. If you look at it in the preamble, there's talk about UTM yep. and everybody has to be part of the UTM. Um, UTM is UTM. Okay. Sorry. Management system, which okay. is like air traffic control for drones. And it's, okay. it's going to be all automated and stuff. Um, it, 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 it is an important step because you, there's more and more in terms of unmanned um, sort of aerial mobility units that are coming online. So it's mm -hmm. going to be even more critical because the airspace is going to become more uh, congested. Right. But that only happens in urban areas. So Correct. going back, it's like it, remote ID over the network should only happen where it's needed. So it's like just making sure everything's still context appropriate. But so this is a little overkill, a little overkill. It, it, it's overkill. And the rule can always evolve as technology changes. Right. I mean, it's not stuff. It's a pain in the rear to do it. Yes. And uh, sort of the rule changes should only happen like once every five, 10 years. Right. But the, the, the version one should stay small, lightweight and easy to implement. That's, that's fair. And, you know, one thought I had too that I, I didn't mention was I feel like the tech, I feel like the tech's going to fix itself, whatever the rule is. There are, there are so many intelligent people and with the, the uh, popularity of open source, everything. So from FPV guys running beta flight on small $40 flight controller boards, all the way to yeah. the guys running a Pixhawk cube like this thing, um, yeah. or, uh, or, or uh, hobbyists running open TX radios. I feel like the open source community is huge and there's smart people to where I, I can see this. I can see a $9 item that you buy on Amazon plugging into your open source device, making you now be compliant if you're flying a non DJI aircraft. Yeah. So I feel like, I, I feel like the tech side isn't that big of a deal. Cause I feel like there's, I'm just so bullish on, on the creators that people yeah. are going to be able to do this. The Pixhawks, the, the Pixhawk Pix guys are working on sort of a implementation. Right, they're good. They're always ahead. They're ahead of the game, and they're, I have yeah, zero they, doubts for them. They, they are geeks. They they are super geeks, and they're good people. Too. They're very talented. I give them credit. Yeah. They're they're so talented. Um, oh, yeah. No, it, it, it's interesting, and it, I my I guess my heart goes out the most for the hobbyists because the the hobby I feel like is in for a rude awakening with this. Um, so. Oh, but the commercial guys and manufacturers like myself, I mean, hey, we, we manufacturers, we got to play ball, whatever it is. At least we're all in the same playing field. Like we'll all be, yeah. we'll all have to do the same thing or, but, or we don't. But we all came from the hobbyist side, right? Right. We did. We did. We did. So we, can't oh. forget, we can't ever forget that. Oh, man. Gotta, it's like you think about it. We got to encourage our kids. We got to encourage the STEM aspect. Yeah. Uh, drones are a great tool. Yep. And, uh, we have to remind the FAA of that. I think so. I think that's very fair. Very fair. Well, Kenji, I won't take up any more of your time. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. And uh, right. 
And uh, maybe if I'll catch you at AVSI. Maybe yeah. I'll catch you there. If you have any questions, just feel free to reach out. Yeah, how can people reach you and, and your company and, and maybe a little plug, a little social plug? How oh, can sure. people get in touch uh, with you? Uh, call Bobby. He oh, knows us. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's ACAM Aerials. So oh, you can find us on Instagram under ACAM Aerials, A-C-A-M-A-E-R-I-A-L-S or Facebook. Uh, and you can reach out to us. We're pretty active on a lot of the commercial groups and uh, the uh, legal groups on uh, Facebook too. Awesome. Kenji, I very much appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right, chat soon. See you, man. Yep.